Hi there, Megan Thompson here with Megan Thompson Coaching and today we're going to cover why therapy does not work when parenting your highly sensitive child and breaking out of the meltdown cycle. Now, that is a pretty big statement to make for, for me, be, knowing that I am also a licensed clinical professional counselor. With that being said, we're gonna dive right into why I am certain that that is the case for your family if the cause of your kids' meltdowns is the highly sensitive meltdown cycle. And we're gonna cover uh, more in depth related to why you're stuck if you're using therapy to help your family break out of this pattern. Hello, and welcome to How to Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja. I'm your host, Megan Thompson, licensed clinical professional counselor and registered play therapist supervisor. We at MTC teach parents how to eliminate the daily meltdown and shutdown cycle for your sensitive children and teens. Highly sensitive children make up 15 to 20% of the population, according to research that has been gathered for over a century. And this podcast answers one question. How can you raise emotionally intelligent children? Stop walking on eggshells and help your child express their needs safely without punishments, yelling, or coddling. If you wanna know the answer, you're in the right place. So how do I know what I'm doing, right? Here at MTC, we help, we've helped hundreds of families break out of the pattern of the meltdown cycle for parents of highly sensitive kids, ages two all the way up through 18. And when we, we discuss that meltdown cycle, the meltdown cycle is daily for many of the families that we work with. Uh, highly sensitive kids are hitting, kicking, screaming, uh, throwing their whole body on the floor, throwing things in the house, punching siblings, uh, jumping on siblings, pummeling siblings, uh, pummeling parents, pulling parents' hair, etc. This is pretty extreme behavior, okay? Um, and it's also true that we can see kids implode, say things like, "You life would be better off without me. Um, you're, you know, you're the worst. I hate you. I can't believe um, that, that, that you're still trying to help me. I can't be helped, any of this. And we can see the isolation cycle or the refusal cycle, especially more with teens, uh, preteens and teens. And so uh, with that being said, we see all kinds of young children uh, shut down rather than explode because the implode or explode behavior of a highly sensitive child stuck in the meltdown cycle is quite frankly neither here nor there. And that's really the important piece. We're gonna bust some myths today on why therapy isn't working and breaking out of the meltdown cycle, why it won't work for your highly sensitive child who is dealing with the meltdown cycle and that's the cause of their behavior and um, why you're still stuck, okay? So let's cover this. First and foremost, um, if you've taken the step to move towards working with a mental health professional, then um, this can feel really hard to hear, right? And I'm not here to tell you the therapy doesn't work or the therapy doesn't work in general or you shouldn't take your kid to a therapist. What I'm saying is that mental health therapy for highly sensitive kids who are stuck in the meltdown cycle is ineffective in its traditional approach and in the way that most child therapists will approach 
the meltdown cycle. And I'm saying that with definitive uh, expertise because I've been doing this for 10 years and we've solved this problem with hundreds of families around the world. And many of those families have come to us after working with therapists who have qualifications. They might have similar qualifications to me. They might be registered play therapist supervisors, people who supervise uh, therapists who are learning how to become a play therapist themselves. Um, and it's also true that that does not make you an expert in the highly sensitive temperament type. Makes you an expert in understanding how kids learn through play. Uh, might make you an expert in your specialty uh, for a professional in this dynamic where the, the, the specialty might be grief or, or um, OCD or depression or anxiety. But when we look at the cause of the intense meltdown cycle, we have to understand for highly sensitive kids, this is a personality that is missing skills. And that personality for your child uh, isn't something that can be fixed. And the typical medical model of therapy is that there are behaviors that can be fixed. They need to be targeted through an, a specific mental health intervention, whether that be child-centered play therapy, directive play therapy, talk therapy, cognitive behavior therapy, you name it. And all of those approaches leave parents holding the bag and uh, you, you're continuing to be stuck and they can actually perpetuate the meltdown cycle, keep it going. And that's what's really, really important for you to notice as a parent because when you're throwing things at the wall to see what sticks, you also need to notice if professionals are doing the same thing with your family. And uh, that can be really disheartening to hear and also frustrating to hear with that being said. Uh, you know, in, in my life for me, if, if, I, if I notice that I have a goal and I'm using an ineffective or ineffect, inefficient strategy, you bet your pippy I want to know right away. <laughs> I highly value efficiency, so I'm happy to hear from people that what I'm doing isn't working, especially when uh, they've, they've helped many, many people solve the problem. And, and that's another piece that you need to pay attention to. So uh, let's dive in, right? The first and foremost understanding is, is, is recognizing what the medical model of therapy is. Uh, people will go to therapy to address a specific behavior problem or a specific emotional issue. And that targets, uh, and therapy will target that specific emotional issue. Might also target the, um, the emotional uh, relationship between parent and child. With that being said, many uh, professionals in my field uh, will work at this from a crisis intervention level or from a reactive level because that is how the field of mental health therapy has been designed and it's extremely difficult for therapists to break out of that design based on the limits of their profession and the limits of how they provide their service. If you're going to an appointment once a week, a parent is likely going to give you a report on how the last week's behaviors went, how the last week's uh, history of, of that behavior has gone. And as a professional, a mental health therapist, and, and guys, I'm saying this because I used to do this. I used to go the old way as a therapist. Um, as, a, as, a, as a therapist, in my experience, and we've seen this over and over again, and, and, and our clients are therapists too, so they tell us they've done this in their own sessions with, with the kids that they've treated as well. Um, you're getting a one-sided story. You're getting a history from the parent of how the child is doing, but that has no 
bearing on the child's emotional state and how the child is feeling in terms of how the child feels capable of using skills that the therapist might be trying to teach, uh, as well as whether or not the child is trying. Because let's be honest, as a parent who's stuck and be in, in survival mode, if it's not working, if you're not seeing actual shifts from your child in the sense that they are stopping themselves from hitting and that that's consistent, you're probably missing it when your child is trying. And I'm not just here to tell you that because you have blinders on and, and, and um, you know, you're trying to ignore it. I'm just trying to show you that when you're stuck in danger mode as a parent, uh, this can be really easy to miss. We see so many of our clients miss the growth edges for their sensitive kids and, and they're using a system that works. And that's why we coach. <laughs> it isn't just a drag and drop reading, right? You're not gonna fix this problem by listening to a podcast. You're not gonna fix this problem by reading a book. You're not gonna fix this problem by reading blogs or, or following other parents who might've addressed part of the problem themselves and so they feel better about it. So they're to giving advice to other people. That's not what fixes the problem. You guys have heard me tell you what fixes the problem. We'll cover that later. And the problem here is not your kid. The problem is the meltdown cycle. And the meltdown cycle is pervasive throughout the entire family. This is a family dynamic problem. And so if you're working with an individual therapist who is working with your child for 50 minutes, 45 minutes, 30 minutes of the 50 minute session, then your, your professional is misdirected in terms of their approach. And I'm gonna say that definitively because we've helped hundreds of families break out of this from an international standpoint in, in the parent coaching services that we provide, but also because in my group private practice, which is if not the largest, one of the largest practices that specializes in working with highly sensitive children in the United States, um, and I'm just saying that because I don't know every practice in the world, but I do know that we have uh, many clinicians and that's our specialty. And um, with that being said, we don't provide the one-to-one -one therapy with, with just the child. We do it completely differently. And so you're, we're, we're using um, a dynamic and uh, pattern-breaking approach in both of the companies that I run. And that's incredibly important for you to notice because you might've asked yourself, well, wait a minute. You know, Megan, I get that you own a coaching company and you're talking to me through the lens of, of coaching and um, the work that you do is with parents for children under the age of 14 and then teens and up um, with their parents together for, for, for in that respect. But aren't you a therapist? Don't you also run a private practice? And so why are you telling me that therapy doesn't work? Well, guess what, guys? Therapy doesn't work in that respect. I've tried it, have a lot of expertise and a lot of training in working with, uh, with children uh, with major and extreme behaviors. And the one-to-one -one therapy doesn't work. We don't do it in my private practice. That is not, not something that we continue. And when parents say, this is all I want, we say, okay, great, go work with somebody else. And, um, and, and parents have that right in our local community as well as in... in um, in the, in the communities that we serve around the world through, through the work that we do in coaching. And uh, this is really important for you to understand because while I have uh, two, two, um, uh, two businesses, local and then we took it international, um, we did that because what I was doing locally wasn't available internationally and it's not taught it's not taught, you know, I attend play therapy conferences, I attend, um, you know, 
uh, professional conferences. That's a requirement to maintain my license as well as to continue to do a good job. If we're not learning, we're, you know, if we're not growing, we're shrinking. So I'm always learning. I'm always trying to hear what I teach in a different way. Um, with that being said, part of what I teach is not taught from, um, from a professional standpoint. Many therapists are working on what I call the crisis cycle. And this is something that you as a parent are already stuck in. Uh, your child's major behavior, your brain is going to report the major behavior of the week. And quite frankly, with all due respect, if you had could, if you knew what you needed to prioritize to break out of the meltdown cycle, you would have broken out of it by now. And so what you're reporting to your kid's therapist isn't necessarily what's the most relevant information that your kid's therapist needs to hear. But with 15 minutes or 10 minutes or a five minute update or an email prior to the session so that the therapist can spend the hour with the child and build a relationship with the child, there's only so much that your therapist, your kid's therapist can do. And so there's no um, fault in the, in the approach. With that being said, if the therapist doesn't, isn't sure that your kid's highly sensitive or doesn't understand the trait at all, that therapist is not working in a way that's going to solve your family's problem. And obviously, we work with professionals to reach uh, goals, right? We don't just uh, just go to shoot the... Um, I'm trying not to curse. <laughs> How do I say that? Um, go to chit chat. That's the, that's a better word. <laughs> um, you know, you guys aren't, aren't wasting your time commuting to and fro on, on a, a weekly basis, um, or setting up the, the computer if you're doing telehealth, um, on a weekly basis and dealing with all the logistics around that just to have a nice chat. You could have that with your girlfriends, with your, with your guy friends, with your friends. Um, you know, your, your, your acquaintances, etc. That's not what therapy is about. So with that being said, right, if you're going there to solve a specific problem, uh, you need to understand how that problem is solved. So let's cover it, right? Uh, parenting a highly sensitive child when you're stuck in the meltdown cycle, your sensitive child learns through you. Highly sensitive children improve their relationship with themselves. That's the piece of self-concept, self-esteem. I view myself as fully capable, worthy of safety and peace in my own heart, and therefore I can make changes. Highly sensitive children change that view of themselves through a change in the relationship with the parent. And so if you're taking your kid to an appointment and dropping them off with a professional who, who has qualifications, um, and that professional is telling you that this is going to impact the, 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 the meltdown cycle, they don't know what they're doing. Um, and, and so that's, that's really important to understand. And, and this, is, this is something that I am fine to say on the internet all over the place um, because I know it's true and I have not seen any family who has come back to us after speaking with us, deciding not to move forward with us, what have you, um, and that they've reported that they've solved the problem, um, unfortunately. And so I, I'm saying that with, with definitive history, but I'm also saying that based on our clients' reports, uh, that they tried that, they didn't there, that they've been there, done that. You've heard uh, multiple families uh, who have reported the work that they've done um, with other local professionals prior to coming to us. That is not a unique circumstance. Um, some of the professionals were actually providing that professional support to their local community and yet still stuck in their own home, okay? Um, and this is really important. You've heard Ashley's story, you've heard Katie's story, you've heard 
um, Tony's story, you've heard Marcos and Reina's story, Savannah's story, etc. And all of those families have something in common and uh, that they, they see, sought professional support in a local capacity where one-to-one -one therapy was the modality of, of how to solve the problem and yet they stayed stuck. And uh, that story is pervasive over the hundreds of families that we've worked with for the ones who have sought uh, mental health therapy for their kid to eliminate the meltdown cycle. Now remember, I'm not saying that men mental health therapy isn't effective for highly sensitive kids in general. I'm not saying write off therapy, right? That would be, um, uh, that would be extremely damaging for me to say. And um, what I'm saying is that highly sensitive children can benefit from therapy if they've experienced a specific trauma. They can benefit from therapy if they've experienced loss. They can benefit from therapy if they've experienced significant stressors in their lives, okay? Those are targeted issues that can be addressed um, from a therapeutic standpoint. But if your child is, is um, dealing with the meltdown cycle, then that's a family dynamic problem and sending your kid to therapy continues to ostracize your child and keeps them as the black sheep, which is the very invalidation in the relationship that needs to be healed in order to break out of the meltdown cycle. Highly sensitive kids who grow up in, in um, a mismatched parenting environment develop risky behaviors like hitting, um, hitting, throwing, uh, running around, away, etc. All the behaviors we talked about before, in addition to chronic self-harm, chronic suicidality, which is why uh, Marshall Linehan developed DBT uh, to eliminate the chronic suicidal th uh, behavior and chronic self-harm behavior of the sensitive population. Um, specifically, first she developed it for adults, and then it was um, redistributed in research to serve adolescents, to serve other populations. So when we look at eliminating the meltdown cycle in order to prevent suicidal thoughts and self-harmful behavior, which is the mission of MTC, um, then you want to understand, you know, what is what is sending people down um, down that slope, right? Sending the snowball down the slope, and we start at the top of the snowball. And the invalidating environment, an environment where a child feels like my my parents don't understand me, my feelings are too big, and um, there's a mismatch in the parenting style. All of that is the cause of the meltdown cycle in addition to the fact that your kid is missing skills and regulating their emotions. So when your child cannot regulate emotions because they don't have the skills, but you don't address the fact that the environment is invalidating, you send the message to your kid that they're supposed to be solving it on their own, which in fact doubly invalidates them. Uh, so you're, you're, you're keeping the problem happening and, and in some of these circumstances, which as I mentioned, a therapist who doesn't understand the meltdown cycle is actually participating in that invalidation cycle with you. And that's the most unfortunate circumstance. And, and you know, like I said, part of, part of what we're doing here at MTC, we've been operating for several years, uh, is to support parents in breaking out of that pattern because that is what works rather than just teaching therapists what works because it's not what works. <laughs> um, uh, and, and, and so that wouldn't be, it wouldn't, you know, for, for us to serve professionals and breaking out of that pattern, it still keeps um, 
parents stuck. And so we just go straight to the source of the issue. This is why we serve parents directly rather than offering professional trainings um, to, to, to professionals and, and spreading the word that way. It just simply is less effective, less efficient. Um, and we, we, you know, like I said earlier, I highly value efficiency. So we just go straight to the issue. Let's solve it. Um, and that ripple, ripple effect impacts multiple communities and multiple generations, which is how we'll, we'll reach our mission. And so when we think about the important piece that you need to dive into, uh, the first component is the very acknowledgement that your kid's therapist doesn't go home with you. And so when you're stuck in this dynamic of uh, noticing that your kid is practicing these skills, they're having a lovely, genuine conversation, demonstrating strengths, um, demonstrating passions, demonstrating interests, demonstrating creative problem solving in the therapy office, right? Um, if the kid goes all together, right? So I'm, I'm, I'm going into like, uh, if you were able to get your child to come to the therapy office, um, then this is the, 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 the evidence you might see to try to convince yourself that this is actually working. And your kid's therapist might say, this is actually working. Um, but then there comes a time where the kid's therapist starts to say, well, you know what? <sighs> she does it all well in front of me. So it's probably you. I'm going to discharge your kid and I want you to go to therapy. But since I saw your kid, it can't be with me because there's a conflict of interest. Because that's the medical model of the therapy modality. Most child therapists um, will specialize in, in doing mental health therapy for children and they won't specialize in adult therapy. And um, there are ethical uh, regulations that notice um, a dual relationship, that's what it's called, um, when, when providing uh, therapy to multiple members of the family have to ethically justify that. And most therapists say, uh, my ethical justification isn't because I like this family. That's not enough. So I have to send them to um, to a different therapist. And so what that means is that you start all over again without the context of your kid with your own therapist or perhaps a family therapist or perhaps a, um, uh, a couple therapist. If you and your spouse or co-parent are um, are not on the same page in terms of what parenting strategies to, to use. And the same cycle starts because at that point, what are you doing? You're bringing the flavor of the week to the appointment. Here's what bothered me this past week. And this is what keeps you stuck. This is what keeps you stuck. Because therapy continues to look at the growth by breaking down the past. And that um, the perspective of therapy is that the emotional growth of a, a person is best addressed by uprooting ineffective patterns in the past and then learning new skills for the future. But the coaching approach, which works so beautifully for, for highly sensitive kids and for parents with, whose kids are stuck in this meltdown cycle, um, that approach notices that the first piece around all of breaking, uh, of breaking this pattern has to come in your vision for the future, not in your sadness about the past. You can work through your own grief while you're working through noticing what's available to you in the future. And that focus 
um, is the difference between coaching and therapy. And when we think about the important component of a strategic goal with strategic outcomes and that those are kept meant to, to keep you in forward momentum, um, understanding what held you back in the first place uh, is really only going to get you so far. And um, when we think about teaching coping skills or behaving differently next time, which is also addressed in, in a therapy session, especially if, a, if there's a directive component to that where the therapist is running the plan um, of, of how to reach the goal, then that, that's still addressed in terms of, you know, here's, here's how you want to live your life. Let's go ahead and move towards that goal. Uh, but the same um, back-ended uh, component of let's talk about the flavor of the week um, is what's going to keep you stuck because for you as a parent stuck in survival mode your bears can change your kids major behaviors can change from week to week from day to day and um, when you're running from a bear in survival mode um, your emotional experience is going to highlight the most recent bear and uh, it is going to diminish the, the the bigger bears that are actually probably right around the corner um, or the bears that you've been battling in a, from a bigger picture perspective. And, uh, you know, like I said before, um, getting, a, getting an update on how that's going, it takes longer than 15 minutes, unless you have a very clear and strategic um, strategy that you could be implementing between appointments. And so when we think about the importance of being able to turn this around, being able to turn this around strategically, being able to turn this around effectively, and being able to turn this around in a way that validates your highly sensitive child that they are not broken and they are not a problem that needs to be fixed, you need to be able to systematically take consistent steps regardless of how your child is behaving. And typically, therapy will stagnate when a child isn't behaving in a way that demonstrates um, that they can move on. And so that actually keeps you stuck because it breeds uncertainty that your kid will ever get it together, that your kid's ever capable, right? And you guys have heard me before in multiple shows prior to this, and I'll say it and I'll continue to say it, your perspective of your kid's capability and your belief in what your kid is capable of is what drives your kid's certainty in themselves. And so if you don't have the ability to cultivate that certainty with an appropriate system that actually works, you're only left with judging your kid's capacity based on their most recent behaviors. And if you're seeing some of their wins as flukes because you don't know how to repeat them, then those actually are discounted. Those wins could be discounted in your own mind um, and in your relationship with your kid and in your relationship with the therapist. Therapists can celebrate some big deal things that, that you noticed as strengths that, uh, you, know, you, you, you know, you reported. But at that point, without noticing how to replicate that behavior, how to see it again, um, you, can, you can damage your relationship with your kid's therapist when you say things like, yeah, 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 that's not actually going to work. What happens? The therapist starts to think you don't think the kid's capable. And the therapist has to manage that in the relationship, but how do they do that if they're only meeting with your kid? They're gonna only work on teaching the kid to build the skills when their parents believe in them or not. Well, that's not the grief work your kid needs to do. That's not the work on, on, on managing loss your kid needs to do. Your kid doesn't need to parent themselves because their parent isn't parenting effectively. 
You need to parent effectively. That's the priority. So what happens is the therapist actually will keep a parent stuck in the parent's ineffective beliefs, which perpetuates the belief and, and, the, and the understanding of, of the child that the child is in charge of their own emotional state, the child is in charge of their building of their own skills. That is the quintessential theory underneath individual therapy. And none of that will change by continuing to have individual appointments. And so when we think about uh, working on this from a parenting, you know, from a family perspective, same thing, right? Your kiddo needs to be able to be receptive to that feedback. And most kids aren't because they're not working on the, the preventative strategies first, which is why when we, when we address this with families and when we break out of this pattern, we work directly with the parents and then we pace the kids' understanding, we pace the kids' learning. Um, this is not a family dynamic issue that is addressed in a family therapy setting either. The child can, uh, highly sensitive children, your highly sensitive child can significantly struggle when they receive feedback, whether that feedback be positive or negative, right? Many of you uh, will notice that your highly sensitive child struggles when you tell them they did a good job. Hide their face, no, cover their ears, don't tell me, or immediately go, no, I didn't. Nope, didn't do it well. See, I missed this piece. Didn't you notice that? All right, so there's a definitive uh, argument against receiving positive feedback towards growth. And all of that is disheartening and frustrating uh, without a plan, right? Um, because you take your kid's word for it. Uh, because you don't know how to break out of the pattern, so of course you would, right? Um, and, and so that's really, really frustrating. So you either get into a position where you're trying to, to convince your kid, um, that they can believe something different about themselves, which in that moment, they're not hearing you. Um, or, like I said, you're taking their word for it and you're keeping them stuck with that belief. And so we, we have to understand that the model of individual therapy, um, of taking your kid to an appointment um, to break out of the maldead cycle is a broken model. It doesn't work. And, um, I'm saying that definitively, guys. I'm not here to tell you, um, you know what? With a therapist who understands the personality trait, it actually can lead to some pretty good results. What are the good results? Does the kid still end up with separation anxiety at the end? Does your kid still struggle with um, emotional management in the sense that they, they don't believe that they're, they're capable? Does a therapist discharge your kid when they're good enough? We're talking about being able to reach full potential here for highly sensitive kids who are the visionaries of the world and highly sensitive kids who are the visionaries of the world need to be able to set their own boundaries around that. We can't set them up with people-pleasing perfectionism that they display in a one-to-one -one adult setting and say, you know what? Your kid's doing just fine. She smiles to me. Wait a minute. What's going on here? What are we talking about? So... We got to break out of the pattern. We got to break out of the pattern, and we need to do what works. And what does work um, is is addressing the the understanding that this is a mismatch in parenting strategy. Okay, you're not a broken parent. You didn't mess this up so much that it can't be fixed. And there's nothing wrong with you. You're an awesome parent because you're listening to try to fix this problem. Okay, you're taking action. Now we just need to focus on what more action do you need to take besides listening. Besides um, besides trying to hear about it, right? 
and, and that uh, that we can talk about in a little bit. But the focus on, on breaking out of this is not something you're going to fix in an hour. It's not something you fixed last hour. It's not something you're going to fix this hour. And maybe I'll talk for less than an hour. I don't know. But um, you get what I'm saying, right? And, and so when we're thinking about the important component of, of breaking out of this pattern, um, we need to notice why, right? Uh, so so to, to, to kind of recap where we're at, um, the individual therapy model keeps kids stuck in the you are the problem perspective. Um, it, next, I talked about the fact that it keeps kids stuck in the invalidating environment because it doesn't address the parenting component that's necessary in breaking out of the, the meltdown cycle. It also doesn't understand how highly sensitive kids learn. It doesn't take into a, to consideration evidence or science uh, related to the research on highly sensitive kids. Highly sensitive kids need their environment to change in order to flourish, all right? So Pluis uses the, um, the metaphor of uh, orchids compared to tulips, compared to dandelions, all right? You can plant a dandelion, a hardy, weed, right? You want to call it a weed or not. I'm not a gardener. Um, you can plant a dandelion in the middle of the lawn and that dandelion is going to um, reproduce. <laughs> like it is going to flourish, it's going to grow, it's going to flourish and it will reproduce, right? Healthy plants reproduce, right? Put it in the middle of the lawn. Doesn't know, it doesn't matter where, where it is. Your dog can go to the bathroom on it and it's still going to it's still going to probably um, survive, right? <laughs> um, lots of stuff can happen to that dandelion. Lots of challenges can happen to that dandelion. And that dandelion's roots, that dandelion's um, skin and uh, tolerance for hardship is rough and tumble. So that dandelion survives. All right, then we have tulips, okay? And tulips need a little bit more care, right? We should put them in the garden. Um, cover their soil with bark mulch, water them at a certain amount of time, and they bloom and they're beautiful. You plant them in the middle of the lawn, they're probably not going to do so, so, so hot, right? Maybe, if you're lucky, um, they'll bloom for, for, for a couple of seasons, right? And again, like guys, I'm not a gardener here, so I'm pretty sure tulips are, um, they come back every year. I always get those mixed up, annual, perennial. So I won't even try. Um, again, my mom's the one with the green thumb. <laughs> I call her for everything <laughs> when it comes to planting. But tulips, maybe they come back, right? They're, I know they're bulbous plants. That's one thing I do know about tulips. Um, I'm pretty sure they come back every year. And with that being said, even if they don't, we understand that when you till the soil and you manage it and you, and you, and you water them, um, you take good care of them, but you can keep them outside. They're good to go, right? And, uh, and they can be pretty and they smell beautiful, all right? And so, so they, they share their gifts with the world, that beauty. And then we have orchids. Orchids are like highly sensitive kids, right? You cannot plant an orchid in the middle of the lawn and think it's gonna be okay, right? You can't do suck it up parenting. Um, you can't throw hail at it, AKA spank it. Um, spank the highly sensitive child and expect the orchid to survive. The orchid will not survive. The orchid will die. Um, you also can't water it like a tulip. Orchids need like ice cubes that melt <laughs> At a certain amount of time, they need to be put in a windowsill. They cannot be kept outside. They need really special blue crystals or whatever. Guys, can you tell? I have a brown thumb. 
I have not been able to keep an orchid alive. I could keep many, many, many parents, keep their highly sensitive children alive. But orchids, man, they're beautiful. But that's just not my skill set. And um, and so with that being said, listen to what I just said, right? Keeping those orchids alive requires a specific strategy, requires a skill set. So great news. If I cared much about having orchids in my home and the beauty of that orchid in my home, then I would teach myself how to manage it. Like I would consult ex experts in figuring out how to learn, right? I would figure it out. Uh, but that's just not a high value of mine in my life, uh, being surrounded by orchids. So haven't learned. Haven't learned how to keep them alive. Don't buy them too, <laughs> right? So I don't put myself in a consistent position to be disappointed. Guess what though? You have a highly sensitive child. You can't return your highly sensitive child. Your highly sensitive child is suffering and wilting and struggling and not growing deep-seated roots of, of effective manage, emotional management because you're trying to treat them like a tulip or a dandelion, okay? And that's not working. That's not working. And, uh, and your highly sensitive child needs a different approach, okay? Needs a specialized approach. That's okay. Because highly sensitive kids are beautiful, fantastic, and they feel that in themselves and they demonstrate that to the world when they feel that in themselves, when they are parented in an effective environment that is positive, that manage, teaches them to manage their emotions through the parenting relationship, through parents' faith and their capacity. And through that positive relationship. So Pluis uses that example, okay? Um, but we, what, what he's describing is the concept of vantage sensitivity. That at a different vantage point, your child is sensitive to that. Your child will flourish. All right. So when you raise the bar, you bring the orchid out from the lawn into the house. You create more positive connection by showing that orchid. Look, I get you. You are built to be multitude of colors, um, dainty and, and, and gorgeous petals, and can bring a, a, a wide range of joy and beauty to the world that, sorry dandelions, like there's just a different level of joy you can bring to the world, right? Dandelions can bring wishes and fun with those seeds, okay? So I'm not saying that dandelions are boring. They're just different. There's different, different level of joy, different, different kind of joy. All right. Not level in the sense that highly sensitive people are above non-highly sensitive people. All right. Um, but that, 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 that emotional experience of, of joy and appreciation that we can receive consistently by having a highly sensitive child in our home has to stem from parenting them like an orchid. Now, I'm not saying that orchid needs to be bubble wrapped. I'm not saying that you need to use gloves um, to touch the orchid, that the ice needs to come from a super special fancy, um, you know, uh, water that you, that you bring over, right? And, and, and you need to carefully place it in the soil, okay? That's walking on eggshells. We don't go all the way to the other end of the spectrum and tell me, but Megan, that's too hard. Pick your hard. What is it that you are tolerating right now. Treating your child as fragile isn't working. Treating your child as hardy isn't working without skills. 
your child can be resilient. Your child can continue to bloom year after year after year when you figure out how to cultivate that environment. And your child can surprise you, right? We know that orchids, and I know this by uh, history of other people telling me because I've never helped that orchid. Um, orchids could grow like more than one stem with multiple flowers, so many blooms when healthy. That's what we're looking at with your kiddo. All kinds of arms and branches of resilience and perseverance and flexibility and creativity and leadership that are available for your sensitive kiddo. And that is something that can be available in a very short period of time when you shift out of this dynamic because by the time you break out of the meltdown cycle, which can happen in as little as eight weeks with the right strategy and support, because we help plenty of families do that same thing, What's next is, okay, now my kid wants to influence people. Now my kid wants to be a leader. Now my kid wants to teach other children and encourage other children. And they do that without feeling like they need that other kid to feel better in order to feel better themselves. They just simply help other kids because they feel capable of that leadership skill that is ingrained and innate in children who feel good about themselves. We want to collaborate with the community when we feel good about ourselves. We want to put ourselves out there and uh, make ourselves vulnerable in helping other people because if we're secure, then we don't really care what other people think. We know what we're here for. We know what our, our journey is about. We know what our, our, our mission is on our hearts. And we don't seek validation from other people to tell us whether or not we're doing a good job. We know where that comes from. And so when we understand the importance of all of this, right, that's true emotional security. And, and that stems from your relationship with your child. That, that is, is pervasive in the research. I use Pluis's research because I really do like his uh, metaphor, but it is tr true in Aaron's research, Elaine Aaron's research. Um, it's true in Marsha Linehan's research. It's true in, in Miller and Rathis's research on, on sensitive kids, sensitive teenagers who engage in risky, risky self-harmful behaviors and suicidal behaviors and aggressive behaviors. I could keep going on and on, but I'll stop there with the authors. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, I, I, my brain went on a track of like naming more, but I'm not going to. Um, because you know, time, time's a thing. So um, here's the deal. That awareness of what works um, is only going to get you so far. You need to be able to break out of that pattern uh, for yourself. You need to be able to systematically know what to prioritize. And odds are that it's not likely the thing that's annoying you the most. The thing that annoys you the most is probably your kid's behavior in public or how your kid talks to their sibling. Um, but that might not be the behavior that your kid needs to break out of first in order to address that that other behavior, in order to build a skill to, to build that other behavior. So understanding how to prioritize certain behaviors so that the rest of them get addressed without even prioritizing them, uh, that is absolutely possible for your family. And then noticing uh, how you're doing all this playfully, right? Um, that goes back to the positive environment. It has to be playful, it has to be enjoyable for your kid to feel that they're capable. Because uh, if they're just being told that they're capable, there's a heck of a lot more convincing you got to do. And um, all of this, all of this is relevant um, with, a, with an appropriate system, okay? Um, 
it's a heck of a lot harder to do. And quite frankly, I have actually not seen a family break out of this meltdown cycle and build their child into an influencing, um, like stable, successful child. And I say build, like raise uh, with those skills, right? So you might play whack-a-mole and, and the moles stop popping up in the sense that your kid is, um, is struggling with the meltdown cycle. The meltdowns might stop, but we want to understand how does your child really truly view themselves? How do they feel about themselves? And, and assess that from a bigger perspective. Um, because parents can come to us when they've, the, the meltdowns have died down. Um, that doesn't mean that they're out of the woods in terms of the emotional intensity. And uh, that takes an expert's opinion, guys. Um, and, and so in order to be able to, to, to break out of this, like I've said uh, before, uh, parenting a highly sensitive child who is stuck in the meltdown cycle is parenting one out of every five who is then also exhibiting extreme behavior. So that's a smaller subset than the one out of every five, 20% of the, high, of the uh, human population. And then a percentage of that, I don't have the odds, um, uh, I don't have the odds on, on how many highly sensitive kids are stuck in the meltdown cycle. But you're noticing you're, you're parenting a subset of a subset of kids and that requires a specialty approach. Not just people who understand how, highly, how, how children heal from emotional intensity. That's a specialty to the general population. Um, so it, it you know, brings us back full circle to, to noticing what specialist makes sense for your family. Okay? Um, you want to work with somebody who's been able to break out of this pattern for kiddos and, and teenagers who demonstrate a wealth of behaviors because the behavior is not the problem. The cycle is the problem. Behavior is a symptom of the problem, right? Um, so if you have a gushing wound and you're sad that your shirt is bloody, right? Um, changing your shirt isn't going to stop the, where the bleeding's coming from, right? And this is what I'm talking about when I say the, the, the cycle is the cause of the issue you see, which is that you have a bloody shirt, all right? So changing your shirt, changing the bandage doesn't stop the bleeding. And um, I use that, that like, uh, I don't know, morbid, gory example because your child is suffering and so are you. So um, it does feel bloody because you have a bleeding heart. It's hard. It's really hard. Um, so I'm not here to sugarcoat you it to you and tell you that everything's got to be sugar plums and rainbows because guess what? That's what the professionals told my mom and my sister developed anorexia and had suicidal thoughts for a very long time and uh, took, a, took, took an extremely long time, uh, th three plus decades, um, to become emotionally and financially independent and still she struggles. And that's not something that is like an anomaly. You guys might have people in your lives who you notice struggle in that way. Um, you might have family members who struggle with this. Uh, you struggle with it yourself. And um, so, you know, speaking from a personal perspective, as well as understanding the research and all of the hundreds of families we've served um, in both modalities of service um, is very important, but, but make no mistake, I don't follow the traditional modality of therapy in my private practice. And that's why I'm telling you that therapy isn't working for your sensitive kid. 
because uh, we don't do regular old therapy in my practice. Um, and most places will do just that. And, and so um, I'm okay with rocking the boat on that. Because um, I'm not here to make people happy. I'm here to help people make themselves happy and feel capable and certain that that's capable of that. That they're capable of that. All right. Um, so if you're ready to notice where you're stuck, hear the cold hard truth about what's getting in your way and take action on that in a way that's going to get you out of that pain swiftly, effectively, and sustainably, book a call with our team. Have a conversation with a trained and a qualified professional who can tell you whether or not what we do is gonna work to break out of that pattern. And we'll have a, a conversation, all right? One, uh, myself or one of our team members will speak with you about where you're stuck, what your goals are, and what's getting in your way, uh, whether or not what we see uh, in terms of what we do is gonna help you break out of that pattern. And if that's the case, we'll tell you exactly how to do that and exactly how to get started immediately and, um, and, and the families who notice that that's, you know, the, all the suffering you've been dealing with for years now, enough is enough, right? Those are the families who break out of the pattern faster because you can make a decision to feel better, but if you don't take any action on feeling better, that decision just becomes a thought. And, uh, and, and families who break out of their thoughts and move into action are the ones who actually solve this problem, whether that's with us or without us. And, um, and, and, and that's critically important for you to understand. So we are looking forward to speaking with you. Have a lovely day. Thank you for joining me on this episode of How to Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja. We release a brand new episode every week, so be sure to click subscribe. If you like what you've heard and you're interested in seeing if you're a fit to work with us at MTC, here's what I want you to do next. Head on over to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash call and book an appointment with our team. We'll get on the phone for about 60 minutes and we'll get you clarity on where you're stuck in parenting your sensitive child or teen, what your goals are for supporting your child's development. And if we can help you, we'll get you started on knowing exactly what to do to eliminate that meltdown cycle. Eliminating the daily meltdown cycle does not happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make it happen. And we've helped hundreds of clients from all over the world end that cycle in as little as eight weeks. So to see if we can help you do the same, head on over to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash call. I'm Megan Thompson, and we look forward to speaking to you soon.